After experiencing the transformative power of a regular meditation practice, it's natural to feel inspired to share this gift and guide others on their own journey of discovery through meditation. Join Buddhist teacher David Nickturn and Duncan Trussell, comedian and creator of the Netflix animated series The Midnight Gospel, for a free online event on Tuesday, May 7th at 6 p.m. Eastern Time. They'll discuss the profound practices of mindfulness Dharma Moon's renowned Mindfulness Meditation Teacher Training Program. Get certified by Dharma Moon to teach meditation, lead group practice sessions, and work with individual students. Visit dharmamoon.com slash beherenow for more info and to reserve your spot for the free online event with David Nickturn and Duncan Trussell. This podcast is brought to you by the Love Serve Remember Foundation and Ramdas.org. Welcome to Ramdas Here and Now podcast. I'm Raghu Marcus. I would be remiss if I um, didn't thank everybody for their support for both this podcast, which is part of Ramdas.org, and all of which is under the umbrella of the Love, Serve, Remember Foundation. And um, that's a vehicle for everything that comes forth really through Maharaji, then through Ramdas, then through all of us that were in India back then and got a little peace and have been making lovely offerings through books, through chanting, records, uh, through movies, so we appreciate your support. And we do encourage you, though, to continue because that is the only way that the uh, foundation is able to support uh, these podcasts and uh, everything else we're doing through the website and everything else that uh, you know comes through Ramdas and others. Just go to ramdas.org and you'll see a donate button there. Um, or... You might land on uh, Ramdas Here and Now podcast, and there's a donate button there. Thank you. I had uh, an experience, well, that's not even the right word for it. I think many of you, I have to preface this a little bit, Uh, many of you know, um, I have told stories of being in India with my dad, and uh, he passed last weekend in, uh, um, in New Mexico. And uh, it, I, I wanted to talk about that uh, a little bit. It was um, obviously a very deep, uh, transformative experience for everybody. But just to, again, uh, just my dad came to India, and, and, and many of you who've been listening to these podcasts, you know the story, but just for those who have not heard it, um, my father was a pretty special guy. But for the first 24 years of my life with him, um, he was, um, you know, a bit heavy-handed, shall we say, with me, because I was a bit of a rebel. So those two bits, um, you know, (laughs) They uh, they were headbutting. So we did a lot of headbutting in those years. And finally, off I went to India after uh, hearing, of course, Ram Dass's, these some of these same lectures, talks that uh, we've been playing on these podcasts. And at some point, and I was with my brother, whose name is Lakshman. And uh, at some point, we got an email, an email. <laughs> we got a mail. We got the old regular mail. And uh, it was my father saying, I, I want to come to India. I want to see what you guys are up to. And I'm going to visit you. Which was like, you know, so far-fetched from who I knew this person to be. I was absolutely blown away. And also, like, in fear of, oh, my God. I'm going to sit here with Maharaji, with my father? Right? <laughs> so, he did come. And Maharaji turned him around. It's the famous story of how he asked me to 
had I taken care of him and given him the medicine, the yogi medicine, meaning LSD, which we did in Benares, he took some, his life changed. He was another person uh, after that incident and then went back to India. He, and he's only there for three weeks, took this acid, did a, you know, it was like Maharaji throwing a piece of dynamite on him and he exploded into another, it was sort of like a cartoon. And we became best friends after that. I mean, we still headbutted a little bit because uh, we did some business together and so on. But um, we just became, you know, very close. And this is a miracle um, that uh, I can't tell you all what it meant to me. I mean, it was really, uh, as I look back, and, and that's what I was doing. We sat with my father last week. He had been... Um, fairly bedridden for about six months and and uh, he was ready to go he was 93 years old he had lived an incredibly rich life as you can imagine by this little story and uh, we are uh, where he lived in Santa Fe uh, which of course is near Taos where the Hanuman temple of Maharajis is and many many satsang family people live in and around New Mexico in that area and so they all started coming down when they heard, you know, he basically stopped eating and drinking. And we sat around with him and we did some chanting and kirtan and, uh, and just meditated there. And, uh, it was, uh, he, he lived like that. He, his, wherever he was, was kind of a center where people used to come and gather. And most famously at this farm he, we had, he had in, uh, eastern Quebec, right on the Vermont border. Many people, um, it, it was a special place. So um, we sat with him, and and it was a very peaceful and uh, occasion. Maharaji was essence was felt by everybody. But the what what's occurred to me, and of course, you know, the, the transformation of a being in that moment, crossing over. I mean, it's something that is so. Uh, in so many ways taboo in our culture and not so in India. Uh, it's much more a natural part of life there. Uh, they have, you know, thousands of years of, of knowing what karma is and reincarnation. And, um, but there, um, I would have to say the depth of experience of, of of being right on the uh, on the edge, and in some of these words are Ramdas is from this talk I'm going to uh, play, which I found, which has got a just incredible story, which I'll talk about in a minute, but not too long. Don't worry, everybody. I'm going to get this going so we can, you know, hear Ramdas. Um, but it keeps you close to the edge of awakening. I mean, when you are sitting in that moment with someone, and never mind, of course, this is my father, so there's a deep emotional attachments and, and so on and so forth, but we did a lot of work together over that six months, uh, in the earlier part of it when I spent a lot of time with him in Santa Fe, and we did a lot of work just around tuning in the way one needs to tune in and, and the letting go that needs to happen to transform and... and uh, and leave the body. So I was quite, you know, we were in a great place together. And, uh, and he, um, he had done, done some of the work. I mean, not, you know, I mean, he wasn't a monk, but he had done a bunch of the work and he had real connectivity to Maharaji. So that when that moment happened, I, I truly believe he went there. Um, but for me and for others that we would sit, some of the satsang, just sit there. And that, ter that uh, phrase that Ramdas uses is, is absolutely perfect. Because it was the edge. Uh, I was in a place where I, I really felt the awake place that you get to when you are going to leave I mean, some of us have had that experience, of course, through acid, because stuff dies, ego dies, when you know when you do when you do LSD, 
And so there is some preparation if you've done that. It was preparation, certainly be able to sit in the moment with Maharaji, which again is, is you're, you're very close to the edge of awakening, sitting with a being like that. Very close to the edge of awakening, sitting with a, a dying person. It's an amazing thing. And, uh, if we could just get into a place where that transformation is not treated with fear. I mean, and I went through it sitting there. You know, you see the body just winding down and you feel your own self in that spot. But at the same time, there's such a deep awareness that happens. Because we sat there and I sat there particularly one day with a, an old satsang friend of mine, Dwarka, and we were in such a deep place with my father in that place. Uh, it's, it's a revealing, revealing thing. Um, and uh, although, you know, the attachment, the missing of, of uh, that person that's so dear to, to me uh, is going to be there. But... Uh, it, I, I had a certainly a larger understand, a greater understanding of what that place is, because I could compare it to sitting with Maharaji. It was very, very far out. So I found this uh, talk that Ramdas gave. Actually, it's some great retreat he did in the late seventies in Joshua Tree, California, and. Uh, I've, I've, I've listened, I've, I've definitely, it's actually on video too, up on ramdas.org. You can go to Bhakti Tube, our media library. And, uh, it's, uh, you know, there's videos of it up there. So I took a little piece, and in this piece, he, you know, it, it, death and dying is the subject matter. I think you'll find this really interesting because there's a couple of stories from the Ramayana, which is the story of Ram, who uh, incarnated, Vishnu incarnated as a god king, and Hanuman served him, and uh, there's a whole story in the Ramayana. Now, Ramdas briefly recaps it, so I won't get into it. Uh, it's, a, it's something that... Uh, We've been close to ever since those days in India because Maharaji used to have it, you know, one chapter of it read every Tuesday and, and the whole book read at different times. And, um, this is a story of that he tells and it's, it's about uh, the, the, um, the bad guy whose name is Ravana steals God's wife, Ram's wife. And, uh, you know, he does a bunch of really bad shit. And, uh, Hanuman has, is enlisted by Ram to save the, the, the deal. But this, so all of that happens, of course. But the multi-level, um, conscious, uh, the, the different acts that Ravana, uh, the different ways that he is represented are, are fascinating because he's not just a demon. He actually knew he was going to get liberated by getting killed by God, which is Ram. And this story Ramdas tells is an amazing story of him meeting uh, Kala, which is time, death as time. It's it's also Kali, you know, who 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 uh, kills ignorance. So this. His whole thing of going through death and why death could not kill him. And he goes through this whole thing, this whole dialogue. Ramdas plays this out. It's just fantastic. And it, and it's all about love defeats death. And, um, I'm just going to play this thing because it's, uh, love is eternal. And he says, love is beyond death's reach. So, uh, here it is. Ramdas, here and now, from Joshua Tree. I think it's 1979. And, uh, again, thanks for everything. And this, uh, obviously is, uh, 
very dear to my heart at this moment. And uh, I'm going to, I have to, you know, dedicate to this, de- dedicate this to my father, whose name is Dasarat. And I was given the name Raghu, Raghvindra Das is my real name, which is servant of the Lord of the Raghu, same as Ram Das. And my brother is Lakshman, which was Ram's brother. And that's how Maharaji created our family. So, Ram Ram. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Stop for a moment and think about something that you really need to get off your chest. It could be frustration with your job or a coworker. It could be fear or uncertainty about the future. It could be a secret that you've been hiding for years. We all carry around different stressors, both big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever is weighing you down. Speaking with a therapist on a regular basis is also a great way to improve your communication skills, learn to resolve conflict, increase your self-awareness and self-esteem, develop positive coping strategies, build stronger relationships, and more. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist, plus switch therapist at any time for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Ramdas today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Ramdas. Hara of Auschwitz with meditation and breath and in the red asphalt and in the slides of birth and in the Tai Chi and in the art and in the climbing out of Joshua Tree and all of that you begin to feel the relationships of life and death and models of who you are, you were stretching models of who you are and realizing that as a model dies something new happens and you feel, you directly experience the living truth of dying each moment and being reborn again each moment. And then you see that a, this seminar could is easily, instead of being called a dying retreat, could have been called the 822 special. Because it's no more or less interesting than what happened to you at 822 this morning. It's just another moment. It's another moment. It's another moment. It's like puberty or marriage or all of the big things are really just more. People say, have said to me, what was the critical event that turned you, whichever way I got turned, turned you rotten or sour or whatever it was. And when I think about it, I realize there was no critical event. There was no critical event. Because if I had not then this wouldn't have happened. If I hadn't, then this wouldn't have happened. You say, well, wasn't it when you met your guru? Well, if I met my guru, a lot of people met Maharaji, and for some people nothing happened at all. They thought he was just a nice man. Maybe the acid prepared me to meet Maharaji. And maybe psychology prepared me for the acid. And maybe all my early neurosis prepared me for the psychology. And on and on and on. Where do you where do you go in and say that's the one? And what else can prepare you to die but the way in which you live your life? And we've really touched how this moment is what it's about. Is this the death moment or the birth moment? Was this retreat a death? of who you thought you were, or is it a birth of who you're about to become? Is it both? None of the above. We are playing with the idea. setting up a um, small 
exploratory center for just a couple of years, maybe. Just getting a place that maybe has, say, eight bedrooms and having maybe four people who come with terminal illness, who wish to be with others, to be to awaken and have the whole place like an ashram. And have an ashram in which it is okay to open to the processes that are involved in dying and dropping bodies. And we're thinking of doing that next year. We don't know, and we won't know till it happens, I guess. And I think if we do do it, I think all of us feel that we will grow incredibly from doing it. Because I wouldn't do these, I wouldn't do anything if I didn't get an incredible payoff from it. And the payoff obviously isn't money. I'm not going, I'm not absconding to Switzerland on $400. <laughs> but what it does feed me is it just keeps me very close to the edge of my own awakening. And we are just at the beginning of this spiritual game. I mean, every, when I was around Maharaji, I sensed what the major leagues were about. And I am such a minor league player. I'd like to be the water boy if I could. But I sense it, and you sense it too. You sense that who we are, we haven't even begun to touch. And the joy of the satsang is that we can sense it together. And a lot of what we say, which seems all so wise because we sit up here and say it in a certain kind of wise way, really is, in a funny way, just reinforcing our predicament. Because we're not talking from beyond the beyond. We're still attached to our methods. We're still doing a lot of work on ourselves. And the maturity of a retreat like this is that we can all recognize it and play it out and understand it without having to make believe it's different. A retreats years ago used to be much more hysterical. Everybody wanted the people sitting up here to be enlightened. And they forced the people up here to make believe they were. And the people up here needed had power needs that made them want to make believe they were. And then they see all the great castles came tumbling down. And we've watched them over the years tumble and tumble and tumble. And perhaps we're getting just more honest with ourselves now so that we can have this kind of retreat in which mature people can come together to explore accepting the responsibility that what's happening is happening in each of us and that what you carry away is in each of us and you're not going to just carry away a set of memories about a pleasant nine days in Yucca Valley or oh isn't he wonderful and all that stuff you're going to carry away a somewhat expanded and somewhat looser and somewhat more present sense of being and you see that this is just another experience. It's nothing special. It's just another experience. And tomorrow, for each of us, there'll be a whole new set of experiences. And to the extent that what happens to you tomorrow is any less than what's happened to you today, ah, so, there's your work. For in every moment of your life is all of it. All of it. It's not going to be better then than it is better now than it is then. It's all going to be good if you stay in the now. When you're driving down the road away from here, that's what it is. It's not a set of memories of, oh, remember when Wavy did, oh, and when I looked into the coffin and, oh, all that stuff. It's not that. Those are fun, but they're like, as I said before, moldering butterflies in your collection. They're like, uh, uh, our culture has this thing of collecting photographs for later. About a month and a half ago, I've been carrying for years these boxes 
of my memorabilia. <laughs> These are pictures of me as a child and my graduation, my diplomas, my PhD dissertations, pictures of old love affairs and love letters, and then important documents like, like articles and, and important letters from important people and dialogues between me and Tim Leary when we were, when he was escaped and then stuff in journals and then stuff of the psychedelic movement, all the history of that and all. These big boxes and I thought, oh, they're so precious, I've got to keep my history. And then this time I was going to rent the house out. I, I rented a house and I was going to sort of sub-rent it to Ramdev and Vajra and they needed the space and what were we going to do with the boxes and I suddenly was going to have to rent a place to put these boxes. <laughs> I thought I'm going to spend thirty dollars a month for what and I got to think it through what am I spending this money for to preserve this stuff. It's as if you know how you go through old pictures and love letters? Oh, remember that. Oh, remember Yucca Valley? Remember when we all dressed up as clowns? Look at that picture. What was her name? I know. Let's see. We were very close. What was her name? <laughs> okay. And you have a little warm tingle. Isn't it wonderful? You have a personal history. But I realized after a while that those boxes had gone unexamined for years because each day of my life is so much why would I delve into the past anymore? And I began to think, why should I anticipate that any of my days in the future are going to be less than the ones now? So why am I carrying this for? Nobody else seems to want it, so what am I doing it for? I'm doing it because I'm, I'm thinking I'm going to need a rush later on when I run out of stuff. <laughs> but I'm not going to run out of stuff, so I don't need a rush, because dying is certainly going to be interesting, as we found out this week. And I can spend years doing that. So we had a big burning. And we burned all of it. And it was just incredible, too. At first, I was doing a very wise guy and facetiously. And then I started to feel as I. One copy of this picture. I'd never see it again. And I milked it for all the emotional value. So we put it in the phone. We even made a movie of it. So. So. have to go at our own rate. I don't laugh at you. I don't know why you should laugh at me. I'm doing the best I can. Don't push it. of their sojourn in form are recounted in a book called the Ramayana. <laughs> and there are various versions of the Ramayana. There is a very lush devotional version by Tulsidas, which is the sort of folk version of India. And then there is a very um, um, scholarly and philosophically profound and lengthy version by Valmiki, the poet. And um, a fellow named Buck in America 
who had no interest in Eastern things particularly, went into the Carson City, Nevada library to get a copy of, uh, and he came across a copy of the Bhagavad Gita, which comes out of the Mahabharata, and he came, became so fascinated with it for some reason or other that he took the Mahabharata, which is a huge, long, long story of all of the gods and goddesses in Indian history. And he took the Ramayana and he rewrote both of them into short, very readable books with great sensitivity in many, most cases, most of his stuff is quite sensitive. And he finished these two books and then died at 36 years old before either of them were published. And um, these books are quite special and the Ramayana has now come out in paperback. Um, in this paperback that New American Library has put out. And it's really a, a mentor book. And I wrote a foreword for it. And it's a, really a delightful introduction to the Ramayana. It would then lead you to want to read the other versions of it, which are more, the Tulsi Das particularly, is really our favorite. But this is a quite readable version, this Buck. And Buck's description of Hanuman as he is about to leap across the ocean in search of Sita. Now, if, if I just want to do the allegory, if you just think of Ram as God, Sita is his wife, who is also his Shakti, or the energy of the form of God. I mean, she's part of the form part. She's also a devotee of Ram's. And she gets stolen away by Ravana. And now Ram, God, is distraught because his devotee has been lost into illusion. Okay, taken away by Ravana. And Ram has enlisted the help of Hanuman to find Sita. And Ra Hanuman is now going on a mission for God in order to make contact with a devotee who is caught in illusion and to reassure the devotee who is us that God has not forgotten us and that is coming to get us. Okay? And that's roughly what this story is about. And Hanuman, as I said once in an earlier lecture, Hanuman is under a curse and he doesn't really know who he is or what, how strong he is. But he is in his service of God, has all his power. And when he's reminded that he has the power to leap across the ocean, he becomes incredibly powerful and vast and starts to leap. And this is a, this is a statement to us because Hanuman is a statement of the power that comes to even a monkey, even a human like us when our hearts and minds are devoted in this very powerful way. Just these couple of pages. And Hanuman now is right at the southern coast of India and he's about to leap across the ocean to Ceylon, Sri Lanka, which is quite a long leap. In his mind, Hanuman had already crossed the sea and entered the demon city. He climbed one of the Malaya hills to get firm ground under his feet. He began to fill up with power. He grew very large and heavy, and his tread pressed down the hill and crushed the caves of the serpents. Out from underworld came the richly dressed Nagas, bruised and hissing, their hoods spread wide. In their anger, they rolled on the ground with tongues flaming. They spat fire and bit the rocks in passion. Their venom cracked the hill and gleams of red metal and stone showed from within the earth. Hanuman climbed higher. 
with smiles of amazement, the heavenly Gandharvas, the musicians, and their apsarasas, the devas, rose half-dressed from the hill into the sky and looked down to watch. Hanuman climbed up through their hillside parks where Gandharva swords and bright-colored robes were hung on the trees and golden wine cups and silver dishes were on the ground in fair shady gardens hiding lovers' beds of lotus petals. Hanuman neared, he's climbing through the plains of reality, getting ready to make this huge leap of the spirit. Hanuman neared the summit, his feet squeezed water from the hill, rivers tumbled down, rock slides rolled, bright fresh broken veins of gold sparkled, tigers ran off and birds flew away, the tree spirits fled and in their dens the wildcats yelled in a frightful chorus, like the cry of the mountain himself through the voice of all his animals. Hanuman stood on the hilltop, he held his breath and sucked in his stomach, he frisked his tail and raised it a little at the end, he bent his knees, swung back his arms and on one finger gleamed Ram's gold ring, the ring that he was going to carry to Sita. Then without pausing to think, he drew in his neck, laid back his ears and jumped. It was grand. It was the greatest leap ever taken. The speed of Hanuman's jump pulled blossoms and flowers into the air after him and they fell like little stars on the waving treetops. The animals on the beach had never seen such a thing. They cheered Hanuman. Then the air burned from his passage and red clouds flamed over the sky and Hanuman was far out of sight of land. That monkey was like a comet pushing the sky from his way and bumping clouds aside. The winds roared under his arm and was pushed down from his breast as he passed and <clears throat> made the ocean pitch and roll. Sea spray rose and steamed up the sun. Beneath Hanuman as he went, the green salt water parted and he could see the whales and fishes like people surprised at home. The air around Hanuman became electric and sheets of light gathered and crackled blue and pale melon green, flickering orange and red. That's the leap. The one other section I want to read to you. Concerns a discussion that occurs between Ravana and time. We've talked a lot during this retreat about time. And about the almost ephemeral nature of time. I think we've gotten a sense that love in relation to time, that when one touches eternal love, not love of that which changes, when you come into Christ love or that kind of spacious love, that you're free of time, you're living in eternal time. Now to understand this passage, you've got to understand that Ravana, who is the bad guy in the book, is actually a very high yogi who's taken a heavy incarnation. Okay? And he's taken it because he knows that if he's so bad and he outrages God enough, God, he steals God's wife, which is pretty outrageous, <laughs> that God is going to come and kill him and that the act of being killed by God will liberate him. It's the final incarnation for him, okay? And it's also needed for the story to occur, otherwise there'd be no Ramayana, Ram wouldn't... I mean, this is all part of the many levels of the dance of life, okay? So the bad guy isn't necessarily always the bad guy, he may be just a good guy in drag. So, here is Ravana now, who is... this is the night before the battle in which he's going to get wiped out by God, by Ram. And he sort of knows that already, but he's been very arrogant through the whole business. Right? And all the time he was doing all this because his love of God was so great, even though you never knew that along the way. You only find out that later on. All the time he just thought he was a big egomaniac. Right? Got the story? <laughs> so Ravana has been, goes out on the parapet of his palace and he's dancing in the, in the dark. 
He's dancing in preparation for the battle. He's dancing just out of... He's so powerful because he did, he did austerities. He has ten heads, which is not unusual. I mean, everybody's a little unusual. I mean, Hanuman seems to be a monkey and Ravana has ten heads. It's a different time span than we're used to. And uh, Ravana did austerities to get Shiva's love for Shiva, for God. And in each, each time he did a ritual, he'd cut off one head and offer it to Shiva. <clears throat> and when he cut off the nine heads and was just about to cut off the tenth one, Shiva appeared and said, look, you're so devoted, you're giving me all your heads. What do you want? Let me give you a boon. And Ravana said, I want power over all the worlds. Total power over the three worlds, the world of the gods and the human world and the, and the, uh, no, I want uh, the gods and the animal world and the, you know, underworld. And he got this power. He never even thought of including humans because he thought they were so trivial. And then he became this obnoxious leader in which he was screwing up everything out of his arrogance. And the gods got freaked and they went to Vishnu, who was the preserver of the universe. And they said, Vishnu, you've got to help us out here. This Ravana is screwing up the whole thing. And, and Shiva gave him all these boons. And he, you know, he's got everything he wants. But Brahma actually gave him the boons. And Brahma, Vishnu, and Shiva, just three aspects of the same thing. And so they said, Vishnu, would you please figure out a way to get rid of him? And he says, well, he ne they realized he had never mentioned that he wanted power over human beings because he thought they were so trivial. So Vishnu said, well, I'll take birth as a human and I'll do him in for you. And he took birth as Ram, okay, among other things. Okay, now Ravana is about to go into battle with Ram, okay? Got the story. That's the... And his dance is quite awesome. And then the dance ends and there is a sudden silence from the city and the worlds are empty of sound. His dance is finished and Ravana disappeared from view. And as he came down the winding stairway inside the tower, the demon king met time waiting for him there. Time wearing a body so shriveled and old that he looked dead even when he moved. The way was too narrow to pass and Ravana had to stop. This is like the Grim Reaper image. Welcome, Ravana. Time looked up and grinned happily. Now at last your life is over and you must pay me for all the sins of a lifetime. You're about to die and now for all eternity hell awaits you. And even your memory will be lost in endless years of silence. You will never again meet a friend or see any place that you love. Your glory and sweet memories will be lost like precious golden dust blown from your hand before your eyes. And the wonderful earth will vanish from your sight forevermore. Go wear your best jewels, for who will wear them later? Look round at the beautiful world of life, see Lanka well, for now she is in my keeping. For your great wrongdoing I have fallen in beside you, all unseen, moving where you move, waiting in your shadow for the moment. How have you eluded me for so long? Indeed, said Ravana, I smile at your folly. Oh, do you think so, Ravana? Do you believe, Demon King, that I only control others? That time will never rule you, but only others? Then the face of Kala, that's Kali, Kala, the male form of Kali, Kala, time, 
The face of time took on the cruel look of someone who has lied and pretended and waited chance and is at last in power over his enemy. I'll have the last word. I'll humble you and kill your strength and spirit. The bright golden dawns of future lights won't be for you. I'll press loneliness into your heart and chill your bones. There is no return. You little liar. What? You stole Sita and you will pay. Ravana threw out his arms. He's got 20 arms, like 20 bars across the narrow stair and looked down at time. Why, I have all the time there is. What? You are the thief, not I, said Ravana. For a few moments pleasure, you take whole lives in payment. And whatever you give, you steal back by fraud from hiding when you're not watched. Death and misery are your good friends, but you are yourself unreal. You do not exist. You cannot steal from me. Do you know who I am? cried Kala. Ravana answered, a marketplace of sorrow, a well of lies. Never. You're a fraud and you know it. Why, you're not looking so well yourself. Ravana smiled. May you feel worse tomorrow. <laughs> Take care, said Time sharply. Watch out. Injustice angers me. That's a laugh. I'll faint from fear just as soon as I find some place to fall down. <laughs> Ravana twirled his ten mustaches. Listen, when my dancing footfalls stopped, I broke time's small back with my last step. Kala said, Ravana, you're mad. There's no help for it. You're doomed. Do what you will while you still can. Your old home is empty. Your friends have died. All the good times are long gone by. Things can never be still. Nothing can remain the same. All must change and die and come apart. It will be as though you'd never been. Time will pass, Ravana. Time will pass. Be aware. We know better than that, said the demon king. Love is eternal, and we are beyond your reach. Just a moment. Don't be absurd. You don't believe all those old stories, do you? Oh, I believe them just enough. There must be some mistake. No one is beyond my power. This time, you've made a mistake. You have wrongly faced Ravana, who has gambled his life for love. And always will, I guess. Never try to cheat your fate, said Time. says all loss of love or life is a lie old age is an illusion and only bad things perish really I failed to see what I'd forgotten you had that problem smiled the demon king but I must be on my way now I can't be late and my time is far too valuable to waste on anything but daydreams be careful. Turn and go. Back away from Ravana, who will fight and die for love, for good love never dies. How'd you find that out? Oh, Kala, stand aside. Pretend to rule styles and fashions if you will, but don't talk of being over me. You're but a poor slave yourself. You mean nothing to me. I command you to go. No, I won't. Aha. Uh -huh. 
Ravana swiftly bent down and looked close into the wasted eyes of time with that terrible demon look he had. The muscles on his arms stood out in knots and his hands moved round Kala like a cage. Do you dare menace me? The demon king drew back his lips and his coppery eyes glittered. He made ready to seize time and crush him with his steely strength. Now Valmiki, who is writing this book, is a poet. And the way he's writing the book is he's looking into his hand in which there is a little bit of water. And in the water, he is seeing the entire story. And he's merely writing it down as he looks at it, okay? The demon king drew back his lips and his coppery eyes glittered. He made ready to seize time and crush him with his steely strength. And Valmiki, the poet, safely watching all this, caught his breath in shock at the threat. Then Ravana touched Kala but lightly with one hand and stood straight again. Love touched time. Time started to sweat. He sneezed and looked around. His face was worn and battered, and his voice cracked when he spoke. Why, it's all dusty. Everything here, it's covered over with fine dust. Ravana stood with all his hands on his hips as he watched time fade and vanish with a puzzled look, ever still trying in vain to say something more. Ravana stood on the empty stair. Valmiki the poet laughed with pleasure. Oh, Ravana, delightful, beautiful, well done, demon king. This podcast has been brought to you by the Love Serve Remember Foundation and Ramdas.org. We appreciate all the support for the Foundation and for Ramdas's work, and we hope that you will continue that support. You can go to Ramdas.org and click on the Donate Now button and follow the prompts. Thank you. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. What do you need to get off your chest? We all carry around different stressors, both big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever is weighing you down. It's also a great way to learn to resolve conflict, develop positive coping skills, and much more. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Ramdas today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Ramdas.